business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi, and uh, I got my blackjack gum here, and I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh, I'm here to fucking amuse you. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get together, have a few laughs. you? As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. You ever seen a grown man naked? I'm so wasted. Anybody move, I'll blow your fucking head off. And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God. I'm your huckleberry. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Put that coffee down. Pauline, this calls for the old Billy Barul. That's a huge bitch. The royal penis is clean, your highness. Hey, where are the white women at? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's over, Johnny. It's over! And there you go. The show has started. Friday night it is. This is THT Movie Review. What is going on, everybody? As usual with me, I have got Anthony. What's going on, Anthony? What's going on, Box? Ah, the same shit. And joining us again, we had him for Straight Outta Compton. We had him for Notorious. It's time to get the man to join us for a white man movie. <laughs> Bobby Handsome. <laughs> what's, what's going on, Bobby? Hey, that was a black man in the movie. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The guy that died of a fucking heroin overdose. Right? Oh, a heroin overdose. All right. Perfect. The, t- the, token <laughs> black, the token black guy in the movie. Great. <laughs> With no lines and he died. No, uh, no. Oh, are we spoiling? Are we spoiling this? <laughs> oh, please. Who cares? Who okay. fucking cares? Um, oh, man. What, uh, th- this is going to be fun. Tonight, I, I really think it is. Uh, no, we still can't play clips, but holy shit, these two movies here. We, we, we are combining two movies this time. I really didn't feel that it was uh, worth taking up uh, two shows for these two movies. We're going to do some Eddie and the Cruisers 1 and 2. Yes, and uh, by so, the way, guys, I need something to cheer me up right now. I really do. What, what, what do you need? I feel like, you know, 
you know, I feel depressed right now because I feel like I'm the only man on the planet who paid heaven fucked. So I, I feel depressed. I need y'all to help me through this. Yeah. My left didn't need that too. <laughs> yeah, well, I know this is not the wrestling show, but I know. <laughs> you know what? It, it's it's the movie show, and there were some movies put out today. So yeah, so it's Italian. It's Italian. So it's it's an all encompassing tie into both shows. Yeah, uh, Paige had some uh, movies and pictures put out today. <laughs> um, I, I I really like how she said, "Well, I, they were not consensual to be." Well, why are you fucking putting videos of, of, of you, you know, shooting dildos out of your ass on <laughs> on your phone? Yeah, we can kind of get into that like a little bit towards the end after we get into the movies. But uh, because I had a few things I wanted to say about that nonsense. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we can get into that later. But uh, <laughs> that that'd be THC after dark, as uh, always. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, this show completely is after dark. But uh, you know, we um, we, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Paige today had a few things that I don't think she wanted put out. Um, whoever put them out unknowingly threw Xavier Woods under the bus too. Well, under Paige, <laughs> under something, under Paige at least. <laughs> Yes, that uh, reparation fucking. Yeah, that's all I'm say. yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, we starting early, folks. We starting early. <laughs> what was the one post I saw? Brings a new meeting to his his YouTube show. Up, up, down, down. Uh, no, no, no. You know, no. It's a new show. Up, down, up, up in, in. Up, down, up, down. <laughs> up down in out up down in out <laughs> there you go <laughs> and uh you know Brad Matt you know I like the part of the video where he made sure to let you know it was him I honestly would not want my face no uh, uh, Anthony yep oh, you guys locked yeah. up real quick no big deal I'm just saying <laughs> what Anthony yeah, I'm here. All right, you locked up for a minute there. I, I I didn't catch that. No big deal. No big deal. All right, we'll we'll uh we'll get into Paige like many men have already. Uh, a little <laughs> a little bit later. Um, yeah, I, I think WWE locked up your uh, your microphone, Anthony, for talking shit about Paige. Uh, oh shit! Conspiracy. Don't make me get the X Files music out. Um. Anyway, let's get into this movie because this is an excellent... Both of these movies are truly, truly excellent movies. Um, one weird, I would guess not weird, but one great casting about this movie. Um, real quick, let's go through some of the cast. Uh, Tom Berenger plays Frank Ridgway, who... Uh, Wordman. Wordman, you'll hear him in the movie as Wordman. Michael Pere, I believe is how his name is pronounced, is Correct, yeah. Eddie Wilson. Matthew Lawrence plays Salamato. Helen Schneider is Joanne Carlino. David Wilson, Kenny Hopkins. Uh, Ellen Barkin plays uh, Maggie Foley, who uh, is a reporter in this movie. And um, Joe Pant... Oh, Jesus. Joe Thank you. Uh, he is in this movie also. He plays Doc Robbins. 
Uh, there, by the way, is your NYPD Blue reference slash tie-in to this movie. He was in um, the second season of NYPD Blue as a snitch. Uh, so yeah, he has the voice. He has the voice he, for us. Yes, he does. Now, <laughs> to even to go even further back, this guy is sort of a double because Stephen Bochco, the creator of NYPD Blue, also created Hill Street Blues, and he was also in Hill Street Blues. So there you go. Yeah. Look at that double. Bam. Ah, uh, NYPD uh. Hill Street Blues. NYPD Blue. He's a blue motherfucker. And uh, let the record show that the two black guys got the Italian name right, and the white guy did not. Yeah, but you know what? That's that's making up for the Tupac episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I will never live that damn will you? (laughs) No. Yeah, but I got Michael Pere. I mean, you know. Um, and in, in the cast list, I think you forgot to mention the name of Michael Toons and Toons. Ah, yes, he was actually. Brown yes, yes, he was. Uh, he played Wendell Newton in this. Um, from the yes, now uh, we we will get into the old Beaver Brown band in a minute. Um, now, some of the weirdest casting though in this movie was the guy who played Eddie Wilson, Michael Pere, who we'll be talking about, has amazingly the most perfect talking voice to match the singing voice in this movie. It's almost eerie. It's very eerie because you hear him yeah. talk and you're like, this is probably exactly how he would sing. Yeah. You know, it, it's very, it, it was excellent casting. Um, let's see, who did the, uh, I don't know who did the casting, but uh, Tom Berenger is also in this movie. Tom Berenger, come on, I mean, Platoon. Platoon, yeah. Um... Major League. Yes. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. Major League, um, a, uh, a great movie he was in. What was that, Anthony? No, I say, yeah, Major League, that's right. Um, yep, and yep. he was in another movie. I'm trying to remember the name. It's escaping me right now. He did another movie that was about him in the wilderness. He was kind of a... It's sort of an Indian country. I can't. Why can't I remember this movie? I've seen it a ton of times. Hold on one sec. I'll uh, I'll get you the name of that movie because really that's one we're going to have to do one night too. I will get it in just a second here. He was Sniper he was in. Yeah. Dang, yeah. That's another one. That's, one. that's an underrated one. Yeah, here it is. Uh, the, the Substitute, very underrated. And Last of the Dog Men. Yes. And he was also in another one of my favorites, Training Day. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Chill. I don't know if you guys remember that from way back. Oh wow! Yeah. Yep. He was in that. Uh, he he shows up here and there still every now and then. Um, you know, actually, he's got like three things coming out in 2017. So, you know, I guess we'll see those coming out soon. But uh, yeah, he's definitely one of these guys that um, you know, a little weird for the part he played, but uh, excellent. Excellent, excellent, you know, actor he is. Uh, yeah, he played it well. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, the first one uh, deals a little more with the music. I'm not 100% sure we can go, uh, you know, clip by clip in this movie because there's so many songs. Uh, the movie does start off, though, with their, their the, the, the hit song, 
this song didn't just become a hit for the movie. This became a hit song on the radio. Uh, I'm, I'm yes. talking about the On the Dark Side. If you listen to 80 stations, they will still play this song today. Um, it, it's, and uh, go ahead. truth be told, is um, this song actually is what made the movie a hit. Because uh, these movies, neither one of them were hits. Yeah. This movie actually <laughs> was... definitely carried the movie. No, this movie actually was a flop until yes. until the soundtrack started coming out. And that's when P- it kind of became a cult yeah. hit after that. That's the crazy thing. The uh, the soundtrack outperformed the movie. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the, these are more movies, you know, my dad showed me when I was a kid. This movie's from 1983. I, I, Anthony probably wasn't even born yet. A uh, year and a half away. A year and a half away. Anthony was not even a, 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 a fucking toad in his daddy's nuts yet. Uh, <laughs> but, um, Bobby, I know you were around during this oh, yeah. time. And, yes, uh, you know, this really, it wasn't a movie you heard a lot about. It really wasn't. Uh, same goes for the second one. Um, but this was definitely, after the soundtrack came out, you heard the song playing everywhere. And that's when it really became a very popular movie. You know, it and it, it, it's kind of started taking off. Um, this one, the first one, really was more about the music and the story behind the band Eddie and the Cruisers. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Bobby brought up John Cafferty. John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band is the voice behind Eddie Wilson or, you know, the band Eddie and the Cruisers. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, with the eerie casting, I think a lot of people thought that Michael Pere was singing these songs. It very easily could have been him. Uh, it Absolutely. It, and there used to be, I tried looking for some of these tonight, there used to be some videos on YouTube of him actually singing these songs live. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Like a tribute band type of situation? Exactly, like a tribute band thing. Um, I don't know how we got the rights to do it, because John Cafferty performed, sang, and wrote, I think, all these songs. Well, it depends on how the contract was structured back then. It might have not been any uh, royalties for down the line protection that way. It might have just been a cut and dry. You get paid X amount of dollars for this time period, and then after that, you relinquish all your rights. Well, and the, the songs were made for the uh, for the movie soundtrack. So I guess you know I don't I don't know the uh, ins and outs of the contract that they that they did sign, but you know, and plus at the time. Uh, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band—they weren't—they weren't exactly, uh, you know, rocking the world at that point. You know, they were lucky to get the deal that they got. I—I'll tell you what—you—you—you name—you name that band to most people, and they've—they've never heard of it. Yeah, never heard yeah. of who John Cafferty, Beaver Brown, but never heard of them. But if you say, "Oh, they're the voice of Eddie and the Crew," oh, that's a great movie. Where were you in 1983? Not watching the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, but right. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Well, one of the things was uh, that was the weirdest thing, though, how the soundtrack made this movie sort of a cult hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it really did make it that, and you know, I'm glad it did because I'm really glad I found these two movies. 
the, the, the first one really just is based on a news reporter trying to stir up some waves that Eddie Wilson may still be alive. There were rumors that the body of Eddie Wilson was never found. Now, um, the story behind Eddie Wilson is there was a uh, Satin Records was the record company that they were with. Uh, the story was that they were putting out an album. album was called Season in, Seasons in Hell. A Season in Hell. A Season yeah. in Hell. Um, and the album company rejected it. It wasn't the on the dark side type of music and they rejected it. Uh, the story is that he took off that night, went over a bridge and died. Um, so, but the body was never found. So basically the first movie deals with the reporter getting some stories from the living members of the band. I, I air quote living members of the band and um you know basically it's it's sort of a flashback movie mm -hmm. I, I, a lot of flashbacks a lot of flashbacks in this movie again i really wish i could play some of the clips in this movie um and i may we'll we'll work it out i'll i'll see i might play a few for the uh the listeners around here that'll be just fine yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, it basically starts off, you know, they're, the reporter's in there, they're playing music, and, uh, you know, Tom Berenger's a teacher at this point, because I believe this movie takes, uh, obviously this is, what, 20 years later, I believe they, they set this movie? I believe it's, the, the, the year it is is the year it's set in 1983. Uh, I think it's, I think 82. All right, that, that, that if works. If my calculations are right, I think, yeah, yeah, it's right. Yeah, there. I think they say it was like 18 years in the future, so it might have been 60, it might have been like 81, 82. So 81, back 82. 82. Yeah. By the clothes, I would guess it. By the guy in the leather jacket, I would guess it's still 1963. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, basically he's in there, and, you know, the songs are still on the radio, so, you know, there, there's still memories for all of them. But the reporter is trying to start up some rumors that possibly Eddie Wilson could still be alive. You know, so that's that's the main part of the movie, but there's also another part of the movie where someone is really trying to make Eddie's, you know, ex-girlfriend Joanne think that he really is still alive. Uh, it does get creepy at some points in this movie. It does. With yeah. some of the stuff that's going on. Um, you know, again, the, uh, with the reporter trying to get all the information, she starts talking to, you know, word man. Um, mm -hmm. But as they're, you know, the one of the cool things about the movie is as they're talking, it breaks into scenes. Um, and, yes. you know, it's the, the, the first Eddie and the Cruiser scene starts off on the Jersey Shore because they are a band from Jersey, and it's in 1962. And uh, this is actually where they meet Wordman in mm -hmm. this movie, or Frank. And, uh, you know, they, they uh, jump in there. Just a really, really cool part of the movie where, you know, Joanne walks in first, nice and slow, and, you know, the other band, band members slowly walk in behind her, and, uh, you know, they just stand there and, 
you know, he just looks at him and goes, you know, tell him the cruisers are here. <laughs> just in, 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 in the, you know, Michael Pere badass voice. Now, another movie we forgot to mention he's in where he, he's a real badass is a movie that I've mentioned before called Streets of Fire. Yes. Yes. Another not well-known movie. Not well known at all. Matter of fact, the uh, the girl from the Warriors is in that movie. That's where that's where I mentioned the show. The girl from the Warriors is actually uh, in that movie as his sister, Michael Perret's sister. Um, another movie, not very well known. You bring it up, not a lot of people know it. If they do, I'm usually floored. Oh shit, you know that movie? So you know, but uh, he's in that movie too with Willem Dafoe. I mean, that should say it right there. <clears throat> I mean, those, you know, Willem Dafoe, dare I say any more than that. Yes, and, uh, well, he's a good actor, but a creepy-looking motherfucker. <laughs> he is. You want to see him real creepy, watch uh, Animal Factory with him and Edward Furlong. I can beat that. What? I don't know if you saw a little movie called Autofocus. I about Bob Plane. I haven't yet, but I need to. Oh! That's a, good, it's a good movie, but the, uh, the, just watch that movie. He... I can't, words can't do it justice. Well, he's in prison in Animal Factory, and he's a he's a bald headed dude. Looks all skinny and weird. Just looks all fucked up, man. But yeah, it's <laughs> him, him and Edward Furlong in a, in a, in in the movie. It's a really cool movie. Hmm. Yeah, I looked that up. Yeah, yeah, check. What you say? What's called again? Animal Factory. Animal Factory. Is that recent or is it old? I'm gonna go. Maybe ninety-seven. Let me check here. Oh, good twenty years. Might be that old. Hold on. T O R Y Animal Factory movie. There we go. Movie was made in two thousand. Oh. Yeah, little 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 newer than we thought. Yeah, movie was made in two thousand. But uh, yeah, another strange movie that he's in. But uh, another a, a good one for Willem Dafoe. Anyway, back to this movie. There. Uh... Hey, yeah. hey, before you before you continue, no, uh, we'll I should have brought this up when you mentioned the uh, the reporter because I think it's I think it's actually pretty important to mention uh, for the movie that when they came up with the idea when they came up with the idea to uh, use as an angle that Eddie might still be alive. They didn't even believe it themselves. They were just using it as an angle to, you know, to, to push the uh, the report and to sell records. They themselves didn't even believe <laughs> that Eddie was alive. It was just something that they threw out there. Right, because, you know, in, in this movie, the second album, A Season in Hell, hadn't even been found yet. Right. So, and we will get to all that. Um, this movie also hits on some of the hard times they had. Uh, the arguments they had, you know, trying to do songs the way that, you know, Sal wanted, but, you know, um, Eddie had a, 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 a sound in his head that he definitely wanted to lay out and, um, you know, showed some of the arguments they were having over the music. But uh, I had said before, this is where they bring Frank or Wordman into it. And... Um, Eddie always thought that, uh, and you know, another cool saying from this movie, he always thought that, you know, the best, the, the, to put music together, you need two things, words and music. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he really thought that these two were great together. So, you know, but it, it, it definitely shows, the first movie shows a lot of the hard times of the band. Um, you know, goes through a lot of that. As this reporter is talking to him, that's basically what happens. You know, she, she starts talking to Frank, word man, through the movie. And, you know, th- that's where he starts kind of going to see other people. But uh, as they're talking, he goes. Uh, Frank goes back to his house, and it's torn apart. His yeah. trailer, actually. And it's uh, torn apart, and he's not sure why. Uh, so he goes and sees Doc. And, uh, you know, he's talking to Doc. They haven't seen each other in a while. Um, Doc's a creepy guy in this movie, man. <laughs> yeah, scummy. With the, you know, he's, he, yeah, he's real scummy. He's got the, you know, the balding, thin hair and <laughs> looks like a, he, he looks like an old rock and roll leftover. He looks like a guy that enjoyed his life. Yeah, yeah, looks like fucking Keith Richards, but a little healthier. Uh, <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a lot healthier, a little healthier. Uh, but, you know, he's sitting there, he's talking to Doc about everything and everything in this reporter. Uh, they go back to Doc's house. Guess who else's house is trashed? Doc's house. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously they're looking for something. But, um, you know, one part I do want to play is the little talk that uh, he does have, that Eddie has with Frank on the beach, which is kind of where the words and music thing comes up. Uh, give me a second. I'll get to it in just a minute, her. At least the listeners can hear it. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? I fucking missed it. I'll be damned. How do I do that? I don't always do that shit. Here we go. Listeners, enjoy. This might be good. Let's give you a try. What I want is songs that echo. The stuff we're doing now is like somebody's bed sheets. Spread them out, soil them, ship them out to laundry, you know? I want to be able to fold ourselves up in them forever. You understand? That's the most you'll ever get out of me, word man. Ever. There you go. Basically, he, he he's even telling them here that, you know, he... He wants the music to be legendary. He doesn't just want a good song. He doesn't want to be a good band. He wants to be great. And that even comes out later in the movie, too, that he does want to be great. Yeah. You know? But, uh, you know, they 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 uh, they flash over to Sal. Uh, Frank is going over. He's seeing what all these guys are doing. Sal is actually has a band. <laughs> he's He's rocking and rolling with a band. And uh, he's even got kind of an Eddie Wilson look-alike that sings on the dark side for him. So, you know, they're in there talking. And the reporter ends up being there, too, so they're all talking. Um, we did bring up the reporter's Ellen Barkin, right? Yes. Yes. She's been in a ton of stuff, too. <clears throat> He's very underrated. Well, she, I'm, I would say a lot of her stuff, I don't think she did much acting even in the, nine, the 90s. She wasn't one, you know, not to get sidetracked on Ellen Barkin, but uh, 
she was in a good movie with Robert De Niro and a young Leonardo DiCaprio called This Boy's Life. If you have not seen it, look it up. Came yeah. out in I mean, she was in Sea of Lo- Sea of Love with Pacino. Ah, uh, that was a <laughs> that was a, that was an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's done a lot, but oh, I was wrong. She actually uh, has some stuff that came out last year, and still some stuff coming out next year, this year. Sorry, so got no interest in doing this movie. Wow. Yeah. Elaborate, Bobby. This is news to me. No, she he's right. Yeah. She did not want to do matter of fact as a part. Let me get to was that. Was it beneath her? Did she know it was gonna be a flop? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She might have that. I think that's in here somewhere. Hold on. I think I read right. that. I guess if he's still working with heavy hitters and somebody comes to you, hey, wanna do Eddie and Cruisers? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like asking Meryl Street to do airheads. <laughs> <laughs> She might have done that. That might not have been so bad. Um, I think that might have been a good idea. <laughs> that might actually would have been a good idea. Um, you know, but uh, you know, real quick, I do want to bring this up. We 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 said before, actually in the beginning of the show, how eerie the casting for Eddie Wilson was. There was one more person that was desperately trying to uh, be Eddie Wilson in this movie. His name... Rick Springfield. That's right, Jesse's girl. That's right. (laughs) Uh, The director really thought that Rick Springfield could only be Rick Springfield, uh, especially at the time where he was so big that um, he, the director, Martin Davidson, just kind of said, no, it's just not going to be right. Um, So they picked... Who they picked, and God, like we've said before, that voice and the singing yeah. is amazing. Um, he was just perfect for it, and it was, I don't know, do you think maybe it was a kind of a bold choice for them to go with Michael Perry? Because he was, he was relatively unknown. You know, this was his, this was only his second movie, I believe, and his first starring role. I think you're right on that. Um you know, it it might have just. Uh, you can't tell me his voice didn't have something to do with it. They might have. I mean, he had the voice. He had the look. You know, just everything. Everything was perfect for the role. Yeah, it really was, and uh, the look definitely. But uh, actually, this was his. It was a, yeah. It was uh, his third starring role. Third starring role. role. Holy shit! He was well, in, he was in Greatest American Hero. You know what? He did, but he didn't have a starring role. I think that was just, uh, and in that first movie that he was in, I don't think it was a starring role. That might have been like a, it was I don't a, know. It was a TV movie. Okay. First yeah, of all, so now was he a... was he was in thirty episodes of Greatest American Hero though, which that's not bad. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good actually. I didn't realize. I have I... the DVD set. I didn't even realize. <laughs> I haven't watched that in a long time, but yeah, he plays Tony Villa Villa Villacana. In that, uh, but uh, okay. yeah, and then Eddie and the Cruisers, and then you know after that he picked up a little bit. Streets of Fire, Philadelphia Experiment, Philadelphia Experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, he was also in. Ah, I got to check this out. He was in an episode of Cold Case. He was. I used to let it, so I'm surprised I missed him. I actually remember the show he was in because I went, "Oh, it's Eddie Wilson." <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, Eddie. By the way, the Eddie chants that you used to hear for Eddie Guerrero they came from this movie. I don't care what anyone says. I'm on board with that. I'm with you there. <laughs> they were I every time I heard I heard him I was just like that is so for Eddie Wilson. 
<laughs> he was a pioneer. <clears throat> he was. But, uh, I mean, Michael Pere even has stuff. He has, holy shit, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He has like eight things coming out this year, all in post-production. As a matter of fact, he's, oh, wow. he's actually in the new Labyrinth. That's coming out. I, I heard about the new Labyrinth movie, so... Yeah, he's got a few things coming out. So, yeah, I don't look uh, at some of his movies. I've heard of him, but look interesting. Assault on Wall Street, Maximum Conviction, a bit of uh, Leverage. If you guys remember that show, yeah, what was that? And leverage. I, leverage. It was all right. It was all right. But yeah, I definitely. I don't know. I, I really feel that the, um, like like we said, the the voice, the way he carried himself in this movie. You saw when you saw Michael Pere in this part. You saw Eddie Wilson. He made yeah. the he made the guy come alive on, on the screen to me. Yeah, and I appreciate that casting because sometimes it's easy to go with the person that's well known and that'll sell a ticket, so to speak. But sometimes it's better to go with the person that actually fits the role. Yeah, this, so, like, I actually applaud them for making that decision. Yeah, this movie. And something to be said for fitting the role. Yeah, this movie would have been a fucking stinker. I'm sorry. I mean, Rick Springfield was a, a soap opera actor at this time. His songs were great, but I mean, I think he was still on General Hospital in 1983. Jesus, how long has fucking General Hospital been on? Oh, forever. <laughs> Sin- My mom loves, she's still watching to this day. I'm like, damn, Dude, how long has it been on? That show was on when I was like a tiny little toddler. And it had been going forever at that point. My mom used to watch it at, you know, three o'clock every day. Every fucking day she would watch it, so. The one that uh, John Stamos got discovered on, right? Uh, John Stamos. Uh, uh, Jack, uh, what was, was Jack Wagner, what was his name? Was that his name, Jack Wagner? I don't watch soap operas, I don't, so I'm not sure. Oh, but he, I know oh that, that guy even had a song. That guy, they, they were, General Hospital is like the, the place for singers to come out. <laughs> my mom used to always watch that show. I remember coming home at fucking three o'clock and sitting there with my mom watching it with her. Yeah, that's the that gotta be the last of the Mohicans because all the other ones are gone. I think pretty much. I don't know. I think only one of them didn't like only one of them. I think like all my children or something was the only one. All the others are still around. I think. I have no idea. I don't either, and I'm not really. I'm yeah, not even. Not, yeah, we're not looking at up. I'm no. not a soap opera guy. These guys apparently are. I never was. Oh, dude, that's because, like I said, that's that, that's from when I was a kid. General Hospital. Yeah, dude. I spent enough time with my mother and my grandmother, mm-hmm. and that's all they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, where were we? Where were we? They were in the. Uh, Ah, they were in the nightclub with Sal, watching Sal make a fool of himself. But, uh, yeah, he even has the, like I said before, the Eddie Wilson lookalike, who, in my opinion, the guy looked nothing like Eddie Wilson (laughs) and sounded even less like him. Yeah, that that was good for the movie, though. It was, it was. was. It was good for the movie that he didn't look or sound that much like him. No, the guy looks like, let's face it, the guy, I I, I swear I thought they brought up Davy Jones from the Monkees. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Monkees. That's right, I referenced the Monkees. Um, I like the Monkees. <laughs> hey. Believe it or not, uh, that show still comes on. 
Yeah. Yeah? You you know they were a real band, right? Right, Anthony? Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. <laughs> you know, because of your uh, recent birth and all. <laughs> Wanted to make sure you knew that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they had a show on for about three years. and Yeah, so they were fairly popular. I mean, believe it or not, not to get sidetracked. Why the hell does he keep locking up on me here? Is he locked? I can't hear him. He ever reached out to the Beatles? The well, Beatles. the monkeys were put together for the show. Right. Oh. Yeah, they were put together for the show. They did a casting call, and um, I don't think I don't think all of them were serious musicians. Uh, Mickey Dolenz and Peter Tork were, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Davy Jones. I guess he was somewhat of a singer, but he was more of a theater guy, and. Um, what was the other uh, uh, Mike? Uh, he was just an actor. You know, he wasn't even really that interested in music. But when they got together and really started putting the music together and performing and everything, they were like, "Hey, we could actually do this." So, you know, they got good. They knew how to sing. They knew how to perform. They started writing their own songs, and yeah, the show made them. So basically, it was it basically was like a uh, a better ver- done version of what the Brady Bunch kind of did because I know. They weren't necessarily designed to be music people, but they right. they transitioned into that a little bit. Sort of, yeah. I would say that the the monkeys were a lot more serious about it, and believe it or not, they actually caught a lot of flack from uh, from other established legit musicians. Like it was pretty, it was there was a it was pretty well known. Jimi Hendrix was very vocal about his disdain for the monkeys and everything that they stood for. <laughs> You know, he wasn't the only one, but he was probably the most vocal. He hated everything that they were about. Wow. You know, but they were legit. I mean, they lost one member. He died a few years ago, but I, I believe they're actually still performing. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you learn something new every day. Cause I, yeah, I thought they were a serious band that just fell into a TV show, but it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. They were a TV show that fell into being a band. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep, and you know, hell, Davy Jones. If, if there's a Brady movie, he's showing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. If yeah, trust me, Davy Jones is showing up in every Brady movie. Um, I, I guess speaking of movies, back to this one. We were talking about um, you know, words and music, and how you know he kind of brought on Word Man to write some of his songs for him. This is another really, really good part in the movie where they're. Kind of, you know, obviously I said it before, their hit song was On the Dark Side. If you haven't heard On the Dark Side, wow, go look it up. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of, and Frank is singing it very slow. And uh, basically Eddie gets in there and says, nah, 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 this is rock and roll. You got to speed it up. You got to do this. And uh, real quick, why don't I just play that part for you guys? And I will be, uh, I'll be back in a sec while this is playing. I got to go get my son to bed. Gotcha. All right, give me a sec here.
Concentrate. It's easy. It's like uh, getting laid, riding a bike. Come on. See? Loosen up. There's hands up there. Yeah. Come on. Here go. 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 Everyone starts joining in, and we get on the dark side. Um, you know, I, I I think we need to start talking about, uh, speaking of on the dark side, I think we need to start talking a little bit about Wendell Newton, because he becomes a big part of this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendell Newton, we, we did mention, he was uh, played by Michael Toons and Toons. And Toons. Mm-hmm, and Toons. He is... A real saxophone player. He is actually the saxophone player for John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, which is the voice of this movie. So obviously they just threw him in there. They got to have one real musician, I guess. One real musician. He fit that part. <laughs> he definitely. He let's face it. He looked the part. He fit the part very well. He looked like a, a an old sax player. You know that would be in this type of music. I mean, you got to remember this was, you know, 60s type of music and 60s rock and roll. And, um, you know, this was a little, you know, this was pretty heavy for 60s rock and roll, in my opinion. But yeah, 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 I mean, it was, a you know, but, you know, but it was, yeah, it was a little heavy for 60s music. And I thought about that, too. But um, I think it was good because they saw Eddie as a visionary and they saw Frank as a genius, mm-hmm. as a lyrical genius. So their music was a little, a little more revolutionary, you know, which, which made sense why in the second, uh, in the second movie, um, Eddie was a legend, not, not even only because he died or because everybody thought he died, but because their music was somewhat groundbreaking. Right. Right. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, 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 it kind of goes from there to, and I'll get back to Wendell Newton in a minute. Uh, it goes from there to where, the, you know, these guys are packing bars and, you know, college campuses and everything, which I will definitely get to the college campus scene in a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll go from there. But, uh, you know, he's, um, you know, they're packing bars, they're singing, they're, you know, 
they even have more, again they're singing more slow type songs because Eddie is also while getting to know Wordman or Frank we can call him he's also starting to read a lot of poetry that Wordman is reading also and getting into a lot of the poetry and words and you know some of his songs just you know they get slower they're getting a little more meaningful and um but you know while they're you know doing all this it also does start talking about Wendell Newton and you know Wendell Newton we we just said the sax player he ends up in the movie he's actually dies in the movie which is another thing that they say you know brought Eddie to you know leave however he left or you know drive off the bridge but uh you know Wendell obviously you know he you know basically they bring up in the movie that Eddie really didn't know a lot about his drug use wow yeah um you know or didn't really want to you know confront it but yeah uh, that's that's what I got that maybe they that everybody just looked the other way. Yeah, just didn't want to, you know. They had to admit it was true, you know, if they confronted yeah. it. So believe that. You know, was everybody, it. everybody except Frank, because you know they wanted to, uh, as as the you know script is concerned, Frank was basically the the naive kid. You right. know, he was he was a kid who, so of course he wouldn't have seen or understood that type of behavior. You're right. Yeah. I mean, one of the. Uh, one of the guys in the band had to bring it up. But um, now I said we'd bring up the college scene, and we need yes. to bring up this college scene. Um, yes. Throughout the movie, Frank and Joanne are a little friendly in the beginning, and you can kind of see that, uh, you know, they're a little friendly. And Eddie's got his eye on him a little bit, but in this scene, they go to a college, not just a college. They are at Frank's alma, um, alma mater. <clears throat> I have a hard time saying that word. That one and cur- curriculum. I have a hard time. <laughs> I have a real bad time. But you should hear me try to say that after two. Or th- I, I, I was about to say it probably doesn't get any easier with a few drinks. Ask, ask me after my next Heineken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't say that word if I just woke up stone cold sober, dude. I have a hard time with it. I stay away from it as much as I can. But, uh, yeah, that's one of them I do. But um, as they're going through, they're at Frank's old school, so they go back there. And uh, Frank's pretty excited. You know, he's walking around with Joanne. They start seeing people that he knows. And, you know, he's kind of the big man. You know, he's one of the cruisers. And um, one of the funny things, though, in this movie is one of the guys that he knows walks up to him. And basically infers that Eddie and the Cruisers are not a white band, but a, but um, I believe the words he used were Negro band. <laughs> Again, being 1963, I believe this was, or whatever. Um, yeah. I believe that's the word they used, but they didn't even know that they were about to see Frank play with the Cruisers. You're right. Um yeah. That's how much soul Eddie had. Because I will say, like, when he's on stage and he's performing these songs, real, fake, whatever you want to call it, he has a certain presence. And to me, to be a true artist of any genre of music, you have to have that stage presence that captures people. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, he wouldn't be the first person to do this. Rick Astley fooled a lot of people before they found out he was just a little white British guy. No one, <laughs> right. no one thought Rick Astley was a white dude. He fooled a lot of people for a couple of years, and then they're like, then he put out a music video, and they were like, what? <laughs> that soulful sounding guy is white. You know, hey. it happens. It happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder, like, if Kenny G has that effect on people. Like, obviously, we know Kenny G's not white. I mean, he's not black. But I wonder, like, first time you heard Kenny G, did you get that same vibe? Like, it's got to be a black dude with that smooth, like, jazz, like, type sound he had going. No. Did you really think that when you heard Kenny G? I mean, he had some... I don't think... Yeah. He, had some, he had a little bit of soul. Yeah, I like the first yeah, time I heard him, yeah. before I knew what a Kenny G was, yeah. All right. My mother used to listen to Kenny G. Oh, who uh, didn't? I heard, a, I heard a lot of it. I mean, like, yeah, once you put, like, a name with the face, it's easy to say that now, but when you first, right. hear, it, first hear it, it's like, it's got to be a brother. Jesus Christ, what the hell did you hear when you first heard Michael Bolton? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the college scene here. Um, yeah, so they you know they're at the college and you know they're getting ready for it and uh Frank and Joanne are taking a little walk. Let's not forget Joanne is Eddie's girl in this movie. And um, out of nowhere, they suddenly are sitting there talking, and then next thing you know, Frank lays one on her, gives her a kiss, and doesn't know Eddie is looking right at them. He does find out, though. Um, When they do go finally play, I could probably play this part. I hate that you guys aren't going to hear this part, because it's a great part in the movie. Yeah, they, they should hear it. They should hear. They it. should. Um, but uh, like I said, Eddie did see him kissing Joanne, and you know he's like, "Hey, you know." Frank walks up, "Hey, should we change?" And he goes, "Yeah, you don't have to though." So makes Frank stay in the clothes he's in, which is basically a button-down shirt and khakis. Still pop, <laughs> still popular today with us white folk. Uh, <laughs> 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 so. You know, he does make him do that, and then finally they get in there. And uh, after the first song, Eddie always introduces the band. And um, not only, though, does he play... There's also a good little riff he does before the whole thing that he does, which I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and play it. I really wish you guys could hear this. Uh, Damn, Bobby, if you had a computer, you could just put it on and mute your phone, but you can't. No. So, all right. I'm going to go ahead and jam this for you real quick. And here we go. No. Hold on. Oh, take a minute. Damn it, I'm too far. (coughs) Wait a second. I'm going to play it for everyone. Hold, please. Here we go. Man, you got some fine college here. All the advantages. You got ivy walls. Let your halls. Full dress balls, and you got the cruisers and the nasty stuff for the get down music and the hanging tough. Better grab a woman, no mention your name, cause after tonight, she'll never be the same. When the lights go out and the clock winds down, better find me a woman and go downtown. 
no hand old baby who lift me tough. I want a girl off the streets who knows how to. Then they start playing uh, this song right here is called Down on My Knees. <clears throat> Another I, I, I got to tell you, we haven't mentioned. I mean, we barely mentioned how good the soundtrack to this movie was. But the soundtrack to this movie is really incredible. And again, it's what made this movie what it was. You know, this this movie might not have been even close to how big it was without this this amazing soundtrack. And yeah, on the dark side was good, but I got to tell you, these are so, these are great songs, all of them. Oh yeah, all of them. All yeah. of them are. Even when we and you know we're, we're going to get to the second one in uh, probably fifteen twenty minutes here. There's really not much left to this one that we can really go over. Yeah, but you know what? I wanted to mention too that uh, another thing that was pretty important about the college scene mm-hmm. was they did a pretty good job, in my opinion, of establishing how Eddie and the cruisers didn't fit in with the college crowd, right. at least at first before the performance, because you got to think like in 1962 college back then wasn't like it is now, mm-hmm. you know, you go to college now and you see all kinds of different people. But back then it was just basically one type. Not everybody went to college and, you know, they, uh, Joanne established with, you know, when she was walking with uh, Frank and she was, talking about was her guidance counselor basically told her she wasn't going to be shit she wasn't going to amount to shit yeah you know and and uh you know yeah. the, the guy the guy who said oh yeah eddie and the cruisers that black band from jersey or whatever yeah you know so that that right there established how they looked at wendell and you know eddie saw himself as just a you know basically eddie and saw really sal you know he said it in the movie he said we're not we're not great we're just some guys from jersey you know, so they did a good job of establishing that they were really just uh, just a bunch of basically a, a group of dirtbags. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you know, and it, they, it, they were, and you know, it, like you just said, you know, back in the day, you went to college to join a fraternity or sorority, mm-hmm. and that it, you, look, it was the rich people thing to do back then. Yeah, yeah, you went into college already polished at that point, right? Yeah. And let's face it, this is nineteen sixty. Three. Uh, at that point, yeah. Let me see yeah. here. Okay, while you're looking at up, two things. First off, guidance counselors, I swear to God, I'll say it to my dying day, are the most useless human beings in the face <laughs> of the planet. That, those are the most worthless positions I've ever heard of in my life. They never tell you anything worth a damn. <laughs> I think that was, that was true for me. I have to say, I think my my daughter's guidance counselor, I think, is doing a decent job. But, you know, that's that's rare. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this was 1962. You basically either went to college or went to NOM. Yeah, yep. That was it. That was it. If you were rich enough, you went to college. Otherwise, you went to Viet fucking NOM Mm -hmm. and took your Uh, chances. The workforce was at the the option box? That wasn't an option? Going to the workforce? No, it wasn't. Get a job at the plant? no. Not an option. Drafted, motherfucker. Yeah. Yep. Drafted. Here's a gun. Fucking, <laughs> I know you're scared, but let's see what happens. Right. Es- especially especially the dirt bags off the street. Absolutely. You dude. know, because dirt bags are expendable anyway. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you, you, you watch the movie. Uh, you know, I, I, I watch this anytime it's on. Um, Good Morning Vietnam. 
You know, it'll basically yeah, that was, that's a, that's actually an underrated movie. Uh, I would say way more than underrated. That is an excellent movie. So well made. What a great fucking movie that is. You know, I know it's an older movie, an older war movie, and it's not really a blow em up war movie, but great story. Absolutely amazing story. I love that. I'll literally, if that's on cable, I'm stopping. Hmm. Yep. Oh, 45 minutes left? That's enough. <laughs> yep. And I do want to get you guys' opinion on something, because it's a theme throughout both movies. I'm noticing with Eddie. They pretty much established that he's all about the music, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, he, like, he, like he's a true artist. Right. Now, this movie was released in 1983. Mm-hmm. Yes. Obviously, he's based on the 60s, but tell him, take me back to that time period in the 80s. Was there a point in the 80s where it felt like the music, even though the music was still quality for the most part, that there was a certain aspect that was a, you were a sellout if you went in a certain direction with it? Mm. And was there was that that sellout? Because I noticed that was like a a, a point that they kind of harped on between both movies. Let me start with one thing you said: the quality of music in the eighties was good. I disagree. The Christ. the yeah. quantity of music in yeah. the eighties was amazing. You don't realize everybody in the eighties had albums. Everybody. If you were if you were on TV, you had an album. Ask John Travolta. If uh, dude, everybody had an album back then. There were so many one-hit wonders in the '80s that you know you'll be like, it's really. If you think about it, though, a lot of one-hit wonders. The quality was not good. The quantity yeah. was incredible. Wow. Also, it was a rough period because that was at the time like uh, disco was gone. Disco was out the door, mm-hmm. but everything like so many people wanted to work synthesizers into their music. And it was rough at first, man. Those first synthesizers sounded horrible. And I don't know why people act like it was so great. They hurt the ears. You know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of established musicians hated that so much synthesizer was brought into music. But, you know, some of them some of them conformed because they wanted to stay relevant. But that was a big issue. I would say uh, at that time, the one genre that was really starting to flourish was hip hop. At that time, you know, because hip hop was still relatively new and, and, you know, it it was perfect for the synthesizers and drum machines because, you know, a lot of rappers were more poor than your average musician. And Mm -hmm. that's just the the truth. So they used what they had and it was just a different form. It was more raw. So that was really the, you know, I, I would say that the early 80s was best for hip hop than any other genre it was, it was rough man the quality was not that great the hip-hop was definitely coming I mean, you had your slick ricks coming out at that time you're and you know they even we didn't uh, I, we forgot to mention in you know notorious last week curtis blow all yeah, that run st- dmc run dmc yeah. all that stuff was just coming out but the glam rock was also another thing yeah. that was just the 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 70s type rock was going out and the tease up your hair, put on lipstick and makeup and go on stage mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. Motley Crue and, you know, all those bands were coming out. So, you know, I know, you know, yeah, 80s music, a lot of it was good, but I would say it was very 50-50. Mm-hmm. Wow. See, that's interesting because I guess it's like, you know, you look back, there are so many, even if they were one-hit wonders, there were so many characters that you remember 
Yeah, even if they only had like one, like even if Boy George only had one hit in the '80s, his look was so distinct and unique, you would never forget him. Well, I mean, you know what? You're right. But one time, well, I mean, you're right about that. One hit wonders were um, like, oh, who's that kid? Hold on a second. Uh, uh, Bobby, uh, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time. Jermaine, uh, Jermaine uh, Jackson? No. No. I'm sorry. He thought he was Jermaine Jackson. That's exactly who he thought he was. Hold on here. Mm, well, yeah. would Eddie Murphy be considered a one-hit wonder with the uh, party all the time? Party all the time. Yep. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 well, I know people you know, shit on it, give him shit for it, but I don't, it's catchy for what it is. You know what? That's just what Boxman was just talking about, though. That was a period of time when everybody had something out. Mr. T was putting out songs. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. I don't <laughs> Jermaine Stewart. Jermaine Stewart. Excuse me. That's who it was. So I was close. He was Stewart. <laughs> yeah, Jermaine Stewart. He had one hit song. The guy was trying to make it for 10 years. One fucking hit song. Gone. If I looked up yeah. 80s one hit wonders. Listen, that, oh. the, that song Video Killed the Radio Star. Do you know any other song by the Buggles? <laughs> do you <laughs> do you let me ask you a question how many songs can you name by someone we named a few minutes ago how many songs can you name by rick flair besides jesse's girl that's the honestly i i didn't even know who song i know the song but i didn't even know who sung it so okay there you go bobby how many can you name uh none okay whatsoever. <laughs> okay i'm white and i can only name two more put it that way um, you, you know, he, 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 Rick Springfield was a one-hit wonder. Um, Jesus Christ, I had another one that I was thinking of. There were a lot of fucking one-hit wonders back then, man, that made one song, and you're like, who are these fucking guys? After Oh, oh, they made that song? Hey. I mean, but then you had some people that did blow up and sustain. I'm talking about <clears throat> Prince. He sustained mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Let's face it. If Michael Jackson stayed alive, he'd still be making albums today. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Certain people are like, were like, you know, visionary, like certain people, yeah, you true. just got to put in a certain class, whether it's Michael Jackson, Prince, Stevie Wonder. Madonna, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. So it will. Hey, lover or hater. Lover I know. Or hater. Look, I, I, like, I, I can't, I can't even lie. You know, Madonna came out with a few songs that I, I will still listen to to this day. I can't even lie. You know what? Here's another one hit wonder. Corey, uh, Corey Hart, the uh, sunglasses at night guy. Can you name any more of his songs? (laughs) I can name two more of his songs, but that's about it. See, one hit. Yes, there were some good songs, but it was it, it, it was a quantity era. You know what? The 80s of the 80s music is exactly what WWE is giving us now. Quantity, not quality. So uh, I'm not too familiar with them. But you know, one of my movies from the '80s that I'll watch forever in a day is Breakfast Club, right? Mm-hmm. Simple Minds, that, that one of my favorite songs from that time period. Yeah, it, was that their only big hit? Yes, it was. Don't you forget about me. One, they had one hit. I, you really, and a lot of the people that were on soundtracks back then were one-hit fucking wonders, man. Um, you know, uh, Jesus, you can go to. My God, I can't. There's like so many flipping through my head. I can't stop on one. You know what I mean? There's there's so many. But the one hit. I mean, the '80s was the time for a lot of. They just threw everything at the wall, and if it stuck, excellent. If it didn't, they just let it run down the fucking wall. 
Still, I'd have to, in my opinion, I'd have to say that it's better than what we're getting nowadays. I will agree. I will agree. The 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 mute the the it was. I mean, nowadays, look, they're not even saying words. No. And I auto tunes. Fuck the auto. You talk about radio killed the. Video killed the radio star. Auto tunes is just killing the music industry. Period. Well, and you know we even said it last week. It's not just you know hip hop. It's not just rap. It's it's. I mean these whiny rock and roll. Fuck. That's not rock. What the fuck? I'm listening to something in my fiance's car the other day, and I'm like, "Are you on the rock station?" She's like, "Yeah, ninety-seven-one, the Eagle Rock Station." I'm like, "This whiny bitch. They call this rock." Mm-hmm. Yeah, rock is no longer rock. Uh, rap is not hip hop. It kills me when people call the shit that comes on hip hop. That's not hip hop. Country is barely country anymore. Oh, <laughs> you know? country is island music now. And yeah. I'll say that it. Rap, man. You know how many country singers are rapping nowadays? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what the fuck? Is Collaborations, yeah. Dude, the, yeah. Yeah. not even. Even not the, even collaborations. They're just yeah. flat out rapping. Bro, even the rock <laughs> singers are doing country albums. Look at uh, the guy from Stain. He did a whole. Co- <laughs> he did a country album. <laughs> the guy from <laughs> I can't remember his fucking name. I mean, he's look. He's I, I I like the band Stained. I've seen him live. I saw him open for Corn. They were fucking excellent. But you know, he he did a con- Aaron Aaron Stewart something like that. No, but the, but the bottom line is, you guys, you know, and I you know, I guess you can uh, you guys live through that period more than I did. But even with the throwing the shit at the wall in the eighties. The one common denominator that I'll take away from that time period up until I would say the early 2000s is people cared about, they cared enough about what they were doing to at least try to like put the effort yeah. in, like make it yeah. quality. Even if yeah, it was we'll one it hit that. wonder or whatever, at least they got enough, they had enough sense and enough gumption to put effort in for that one hit. I Nowadays, you just got people that's just like looking for the quick payday. They don't give a shit if it sounds good, if it, if it respects the art of what they're trying to put out there. It's just like, fuck it. Oh, I'll give you yeah. one hell of a one-hit wonder. Taco, putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell this is. <laughs> I know Bobby's heard that song before. <laughs> yeah. That guy made one fucking song. I don't even think he made an album. I think he had a single with that on there. <laughs> I'm not even sure that guy had a fucking album. Look, his name was Taco. Who the fuck wanted to buy that album? Jesus Christ! <laughs> so what, what was the eight the eighties? Could that be classified as the era of the B sides? Little hip hop reference. I mm. tell you the truth, some of the B sides were better. Just didn't get better the radio the... play. Yeah, yeah. They just didn't get radio play back then because people wanted to hear the like Bobby mentioned the synthesized poppy. The pop sound, yeah, the and, bubble gum. Yeah, and, and, and if you weren't listening to the, the pop side of it, I mentioned last week you were listening to the easy listening type stations. You know, all the, like you said, the Michael Boltons, the Kenny G's. You know, those stations were big back then too, man. They were huge back then. That was all my mom listened to was the easy listening station. Oh, it was but- horrible. <laughs> but yeah yeah I, I agree with your point we should probably get back to the movie but i agree with your point though anthony yes uh back then even with the shitty music uh the artists actually were artists and they took care in what they were doing yeah you know? yeah. yeah yeah it it uh technology may have been really good for us but uh technology probably was 
is going to be a downfall for music. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately. And, you know, it's slowly becoming a downfall for movies. People are starting to hate the CGI and shit. And I'm like, yeah. How the fuck can you hate it? It looks great. You know what the prob the problem is that it's too easy now. The problem is that it is entirely too easy for anybody who gets the idea in their head. I think I might want to make a, a movie today. I think I might want to oh. be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I might want to be a musician. Yeah. And so they just download a damn app on their phone and boom, <laughs> suddenly you're a filmmaker or you're a I'm, music producer. I mean, put it to you like this. The music, I mean, the music industry, the movie, the movie industry and the movie music industry have become the fast food. They become like fast food, the equivalent of fast food. Look at it like this. Pornos back in the day actually took the time to give a storyline. Yeah. Fucking pornos had storylines back in the day, folks. Yeah, but nobody wanted them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cheesy. Nobody, look, you wanted to get to the money shot. That was That's what you're paying for, so to speak. But even porn companies put effort into what they was doing back in the day. Uh, maybe a little. Yeah, it's like you press play. We fucking. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. Nowadays, she's like, oh, give it to me in the butt, please. Okay. <laughs> no, no, skip the. No. Man. Skip the pussy completely. Oh, yeah, the butt for sure. Skip the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, though? Even, like, as an offshoot to your point, Anthony, and, and which actually goes a little further into my point that I was making. Even back then, you had to go to uh, you had to go to a company to to film porn. You had to go somewhere to buy porn. Now, if you're scrolling Twitter, you can find porn like full on porn. Yeah, um, hell, how do you think I found Paige's stuff today on Twitter? <laughs> Yay, Twitter! Yeah. I mean, look at it. Yeah, I mean, you look, and I, not only can you, you don't even have to scroll. All you have to do is fucking, oh, yeah, these guys, they show porn on my Twitter feed all day. Oh, perfect. Exactly. Holy, yeah. I mean, it's too, it's <laughs> accessible now. It's too accessible. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, porn, porn, my point about porn aside, I just think that technology, while it's convenient, is making everything too easy to the depth yes. of real art form. Yes. Real art form. It, it drags the quality down because everybody thinks that they can do it because they have it. Look, my I have a degree. I don't think I told you guys. I told you guys a little bit about my background, but my degree is in music and video business. I spent a lot of fucking money to get that degree. <laughs> and, and I spent a couple of years in school to get that fucking degree. Now you can get a free fucking app you can get a free app that can show you in two minutes everything that I learned. In... Dude, I can get an app that will get me the same degree you have. Oh, yeah. Technology. <laughs> hey, this app will give me the same degree in 20 minutes. Yeah. In 20 minutes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> yep, technology is a motherfucker, man. You, I mean, you know, you know, it used to be you had to go to a bar. Or go outside and actually talk to a woman. <laughs> now you can just get an app. Mm-hmm. A woman to be at your door. I mean, right? You get no, you, you get a notification. You get a notification if there's a woman nearby. Oh, there's somebody. <laughs> and you don't even have to go talk to her. Bro, swipe. all you guys uh, just swipe, 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 and send an Uber. Doomp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, look. Back in the day, part of the fun, part of the fun was getting rejected. Cause it, 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 you, you got up, you dusted yourself off, and you and you went, got better. You got better, but it, it taught oh, you yeah, lessons. Yeah, 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 you're right about that. It taught you lessons. 
Yeah. There's that you don't get rejected anymore. They're just like, oh sure. I'm on Twitter. Of course I'm gonna fuck you. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> right. Jesus Christ! Who 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 are you, Paige? Come on. <laughs> anyway, anyway, sorry, Paige. That's like the third joke tonight of your hoariness. Um, well, let, 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 let's turn the page on. Oh, sorry, everybody oh. else did Oh, <laughs> uh, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Now this show's gonna be a real page turner. Oh, <laughs> damn. All right. Get to the next chapter in this movie. And I mean chapter, not page. Uh, Eddie uh, starts introducing the band, and we had said that he had caught... Well, I'm actually going back to where I think we left off. He had said that... Yeah. Uh, we had said that he had caught Frank kissing his, his girl, Joanne. Um, what he does to him is kind of mean. Uh, I, Eddie always introduces the band after the first song and i guess i can go ahead and play this i hate that you guys can't hear it but here we go real quick i'll play it for the listeners here y'all go people for making the scene. Show's just starting now. I'm gonna come clean. I'm gonna present the cruisers one by one. On drum, just go through a phase, Kenny Hopkins. On sax, the bruiser, Mr. Wendell Newton. Not least, your favorite and mine, Joanne Carlino. Hey, Eddie, we got somebody. Who'd that forget? Oh, oh yeah, on piano. We got uh, Toby Tyler. Stage name, show business, Nam de Plume. He's that little boy that ran away from home and joined the circus, isn't he? Stuck in the tent without a ticket, so you can see all the wild animals inside, the savage beasts, the clowns, the freaks. Let's hear it, everybody, for Toby Tyler. All right, so he completely disses Frank, calls him Toby Tyler. <coughs> Toby Tyler. <coughs> Um, basically says, you know, he's kind of like, a, you guys all heard it, like a kid, uh, the, the freak that joins the circus. Um, mm-hmm. And we had mentioned before, this was his old school. Obviously, he did it to piss him off. And holy fuck, did it work. Uh, yeah. He's pretty pissed. Um, but, you know, band is doing good. They're still cranking, and he's still doing what he's supposed to do. But, uh, you know, definitely starts getting... Uh, after that, you know, that that's another flashback, of course. This movie is full of flashbacks. This whole movie is a giant flashback. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going through. Again, Frank is going through talking to a bunch of band members. And uh, this is actually the part in the movie where they find, uh, they do find Wendell Newton dead. 
Um, their drummer actually is the one that finds him dead, <coughs> and he clears out the room from with all the drugs and everything before everybody finds him. Uh, Eddie is told to go out and perform again right after Wendell Newton dies, and he can't do it. He tries to sing. He starts singing Tender Years, which... Uh, if if you listened at all before the show tonight, I played the whole soundtrack of both movies. Tender Years is a very slow song by them. Very good song also. He just walks off stage. Eddie can't even do it. Uh, this is the beginning of the... This is th- this probably shows kind of the beginning of the fall of Eddie Wilson in this movie. You know what? I, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Sure, um, absolutely. One was that... Uh, that that college that whole college scene uh, when he when he basically completely disrespected Frank on stage mm-hmm. and after that you know he uh, he talked to him and said that they need each other you know words and music you know blah 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 after everything that had happened after after Frank was making moves on Eddie's girl that showed right there that the music is always the most important thing to Eddie mm-hmm. and um, and leading into um, leading into uh the death of wendell it was it was powerful like the one complaint that i had or one thing one problem that i have with it like even from watching it at an early age i didn't think they did a good enough job of establishing the friendship between wendell and eddie you know for it to have that kind of impact on them Mm -hmm. but but it was symbolic anyway because when Wendell died, that symbolized that a piece of the music literally died, and the music, as as we said, was the most important thing to Eddie. Yeah, and they do elaborate on the relationship between Eddie and uh, Wendell a little more in the second one. In the second one, yeah, not a lot, yeah. but they do touch on it and bring a little more life to what actually happened i think they might have actually had that same thought in the first movie that's why they might have added it to the second one um yeah because i mean the second one really didn't have a lot to do with the first one i mean it didn't it didn't i mean we'll uh, trust me we're going to get into it we're damn near done with this one um and actually that that fraternity house is actually the house of the college president that's uh haverford college um, and actually, that is a college that has no fraternities and no sororities. <laughs> so that was all just a movie, and they shot that at the actual president uh, of the college's house. So, <laughs> yeah, that was just another little funny thing on that. So there you go. Um you know, we go to the part now, he's talking to Joanne, obviously, Frank got a little thing for Joanne, and he's talking to Joanne in the present, not a flashback. Um, she meets him at a bar again, he's with Ellen Barkin, the you know reporter, trying to get all the information, he's kind of going through touching base with the band, and uh, seeing what's going on. Um, now, again, we did say there is someone in this movie playing with Joanne a little bit, trying to make her think that Eddie might still be alive. He actually has the same car Eddie has, driving, you know, driving the car. He's making phone calls to her, all this stuff, and freaking her out a little bit. Um, And we're actually at the part right now where Satin Records is turning down the album. Um, And Eddie, you know, this is a part that Bobby mentioned 
before where, you know, they, they, you know, Sal is sitting there yelling at him and Sal says, you know, we don't have to be great. We're just a bunch of guys from Jersey. Um, you know, obviously Eddie wanted, and I said in the beginning, Eddie didn't just want, you know, music. Eddie wanted great, you know, music to last forever. Um, actually, I'll tell you what. I again I wish you guys could hear it. I'm gonna play that little scene real quick. You blew it! Eddie, Eddie, come on. Eddie, come on. Eddie, you're wrong. Now listen to me. I love you. I've known you longer than anyone else. But you're wrong. They want on the dark side. What are we giving them some damn opera? I don't even know what you're after. I want something great. I want something that nobody's ever done before. Why? We ain't great. We're just some guys from Jersey. If we can't be great, then there's no sense in ever playing music again, Sal. And there we go. Eddie just said it. If we can't be great, there's no reason to ever play music again, Sal. You know, and, you know, right before you heard him say it, you know, I want to be great. I want to do something no one's ever done before. We're not great. We're just some guys from Jersey. You know, and, and that's... Obviously, that's how Sal thought of the band. Eddie didn't, um, you know. And this is where you know we had said before he started reading some poetry that you know Frank was giving him, and getting a little into it, and uh, started getting a little too deep into his songs. And the record company hated it; absolutely hated it. Uh, this is the night where he flips out, grabs Joanne, brings her in the car. Eventually tells Joanne to get out of the car, and um, Eddie, Eddie's never seen again after this. You know what I wanted to mention too about the uh, the music and the uh, the record company hating it. Mm -hmm. The uh, the songs that they played, if you listen to it, it was supposed to be 1964 at that point, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a season in hell, and Eddie Eddie wanted to be different. He wanted to be legendary and make something great. The sound of that, the sound of the songs on the season in hell was it really fit the sound of the '80s? If you really think about it, mm -hmm. it showed that it showed that Eddie was 20 years ahead of his time. Yeah, it had that. Um, uh, you know, it had the 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 kind of reverse part of it in it. And a bunch of things like that. So you know, it, it was it was a it was a damn good you know. It, I for some oh here I got it right here. I'm actually playing at the background a little bit right now. The first part of that song. So <laughs> yeah, but um, well, basically it's like the equivalent of that scene in uh the first Back to the Future and uh, Michael J. Fox <laughs> is at the uh, and I guess is that he's at his parents um uh, prom. Mm -hmm. it was it Johnny Be Good? Johnny Be Gun? Johnny be good. Johnny be good. Yeah. Johnny be good. By Chuck Berry. And he, he he starts off normal. Then once he starts getting into the eighties rock and roll deal, right, it all just stops. <laughs> like the fuck is you doing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's a like, good movie. You jump into that hard rock stuff. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you if you put yourself if you put yourself back in the mind frame of when this movie came out in nineteen eighty three. The song that they played for the record company, and the guy didn't understand it. He said, "It's just 
you know, a bunch of weirdos making strange noises. Right. It was the contemporary sound of 1983. Absolutely. I thought that was great that they did that. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, we said Eddie drives off. Now, he takes Joanne to a junkyard that he calls his Palace of Depression. Um, now, basically, it looks like a fucking circus in a junkyard, in my opinion. That's what it looks like. He's got, you know, past a walkthrough. This guy basically just made a huge, I don't want to say theme park, but almost theme park-like place out of a junkyard. This is actually a real place in uh, Vineland, New Jersey. Uh, a homeless guy built it out of junk, sand, and clay, and actually started charging admission for visitors. Um, vandals did destroy the place, but the original ticket booth still stands, and they've been trying to rebuild it, I guess, for a, a while now. It, for all I know, it could be rebuilt by now, but this is a real place. This isn't something they just built for the movie. And when I said it gets creepy, this is part of the creepy part. This place he's in is very creepy. Um, it's literally a junkyard with, I mean, there's cars everywhere. And he's got, like, you know, columns built out of cars, pathways built out of wiring and hubcaps and old junk. You can turn lights on. He's got, like, a old, uh, like a palace back there. It's pretty cool, but also a little creepy, especially what, you know, Eddie's basically pouring his heart out to Joanne in this part. You know, on, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of like, she took it as, a, as almost a suicide note for what he said to her. Um, And, you know, basically they go through this part, Eddie, you know, drives off and gives her a hug. And... They find his car the next day. Um, now, she starts telling Frank that she knows where... We said before they never found A Season in Hell, the albums. Joanne knows where it is, and they go back to the Palace of Depression. And they do find the albums, and someone's following them. Of course, because it's a movie. You have to be followed in a movie. Uh, and, you know, Joanne's been telling him someone's making phone calls to me. Someone's got Eddie's car. They're coming up with the lights. Um, he even uh, does a single. Anyone who... People who don't know what a landline doesn't know what a single is. What a landline is, actually... <laughs> yes, a uh, a single used to be where you would literally ring once and then hang up, wait a minute, and call back. That used to be kind of a, you know, telltale sign that someone was calling. You, you would do that with a landline. Nowadays, you know who's calling. So Sounds like a code to avoid uh, bill collectors. There you go. Now, so she she gets scared. Uh, Frank pretends to leave and hangs out because this guy says he's coming over. Uh, and he does. And uh, it turns out it's Doc. The whole time. Doc, the whole time, just wanted to get his hands on a season in hell. Uh, 
you know, eventually Frank does end up giving it to him. But uh, this is a little creepy because, you know, I mean, Joanne is shaking and she thinks Eddie's alive. And uh, it, it's kind of a fucked up part. But, you know, I mean, she was ready. She was ready to go. But, um, you know, just turns out it's Doc. And he wants the albums. He just needs some money, finds a way to make money. They give him the albums. And, uh, you know, the movie cuts to uh, a fat guy with a beard watching, watching TV. And he looks a little familiar. He looks a little familiar. He's got a leather jacket on. And he looks very familiar. So... That's the first one. There you go. Now, this I'm going to go through a few of the... Uh... To kind of keep you guessing. No, go ahead, Anthony. No, I was saying, I said that was like the production working, man, showing his face to kind of keep you guessing. It definitely left it open for the second one, which I really think we can go through this one a lot quicker. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of like curious what you guys think because it's a six year gap between mm-hmm. the original and the sequel. Mm-hmm. Do you think they intended to make a sequel initially, but once the numbers came and they's like, nah, they scratched it. But then once the numbers picked back up, it was like, oh, we got something here. Maybe, but I'll tell you, man, the. It might have, but I mean, this movie, actually, we, we were saying once the soundtrack came out, this movie became popular. That's not what happened. The movie became popular once it hit cable the next year. Mm-hmm. HBO, to be exact. Right. Once it hit HBO is when it really, really became a big film, and then, you know, people started really catching on, but the soundtrack was definitely the biggest help for the movie. Mm. But... I don't know, man. I mean, I think they definitely left it open for the for the second one. Yeah, so you think the plan was always to do a sequel? I do. I think so. I think that was the plan. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest. I I would watch if they did one more right now. I'd 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 watch it. I would love that. But you have you got to use him, and he's still in yeah. good shape. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was, you know, I am. I they they. I pulled up a picture. A little, he's still in great shape. This guy. So they could. Michael Perry. He's he's in his fifties. What is he? Fifty-seven, fifty-eight. Yeah, he's got to be around there somewhere. Let's see here. Michael Perry. Born. When was he born? Nineteen fifty-eight. Yeah. So you know he's. He's up there, but who cares, man? He's he, he could still pull this part off. Yeah, he could still pull this part. And you know what? If you you know we're about to get into the second one, you can see. You know, I mean, they kind of make him look old and fat in the beginning, and by the end of it, he looks just like fucking Eddie Wilson from the first one again. Right. You know, but uh, you know a, a, a few. Things and um, you know a, a few quick little trivia's. Obviously, Bobby said this earlier. Wendell Newton never speaks; doesn't have one line in the movie. Uh, I was never quite sure why. Because <laughs> he wasn't an actor. <laughs> I, well, I mean, he could have had one friggin' line. 
<laughs> you know, maybe they tried. I don't know. And maybe they did. I don't know. But uh, all right, I mentioned the the uh, Rick Springfield thing. Um, and I mean, th- there's really not much. I mean, the music, uh, you know, the the music was obviously the huge part of the movie. But there's really not many did you knows about this movie. I mentioned most of them as we were going. But um, yeah, there's a radio station where I mentioned Doc was working at. Uh, the interior for that radio station uh, that he works for was actually the main studio of a AM station in Atlantic City. So that was actually a real radio station he was in. Um, it is not standing anymore, but it was actually a real radio station. So, you know, and, uh, you know, a, a Season in Hell, the title of the album actually came from a book by uh arthur rambo arthur rambo arthur rambo exactly which frank ridgeway is reading through most of the movie and what eddie basically starts getting into so that's you know another little tribute to the you know um poetry he was reading uh and now we're going to jump quickly and like I said, I think we can get this one done a lot faster. The first one really set the pace, which is why I wanted to do both of these together. It'd be really tough to do the first one and then the second one, because really to talk about the second one, you have to know the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really thought it'd be easier to throw them together. Might be a little bit longer of a show, but, you know, no big deal at all, I don't think. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump, unless you guys have anything more to say about the first one. I, I think we knocked everything out. Just I, I, I think we covered as much as we could on that. Um, yeah. you know, and we, you know, real quick, before we get into this one, we didn't talk a lot about the, uh, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, there's sort of a reason they are not really that well known. Um, they're a Rhode Island band, which has been basically going since the 1970s. Never really had any... Uh, this is their biggest success, is this movie. Yeah. Um, not only was On the Dark Side a big hit for them, but uh, Wild Summer Nights and Tender Years were both big hits for them, both songs we mentioned earlier. They actually, you know... People were comparing them, especially after the second movie, to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Yeah, you know, and which is a little weird because the in the second movie, the sax player they have basically is, you know, the guy from um, Jesus Christ. What was his name in the E Street Band? The sax player. Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. All right, I'll get that as we're going here. But um, Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives. I mean, the title gives away some of this. <laughs> you know, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie Lives. So, um, you know, uh, again, we get, uh, you know, Michael Pere. We have Marina, Marina Orncini, who really took a beating for this role. Matthew Lawrence comes back in this role. Um, we get a guy named Bernie Colson, whose name is Rick Diesel, <laughs> which I would really like to say Rick Diesel is the coolest name ever. 
<laughs> that is a pretty cool name. That is freaking awesome name. Uh, and An- Anthony Sherwood plays Hilton Overstreet, who's the uh, sax player who we're, we were just talking about a little a little while ago. But um, I'm trying to find out what was that guy's name. Let me see. Uh, e E Street Band. I guess I would look up, huh? <laughs> you know, while you're looking for mm-hmm. that, I said, I said, I, I, did we forget to mention that uh, the date of Eddie's supposed death was March 15th? No, we didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few days ago, uh, and again, uh, it was actually when we were doing the uh, wrestling podcast, and I had no clue that we, I, I just said we would do these this week for the hell of it. Um, it worked out. Yeah, uh, Clarence Clemens, that's who it was, who was the uh, sax player for the E Street Band, and that's really kind of who they were comparing this guy to, if you really looked at yeah. it. <laughs> so, you know, but... Eh. You know, it, it it did what it did, but uh, this is the second one. Again, this really brings the you know, like I said, this one starts off. You see Michael Pere, he's got long hair, he's got a mustache because you know, long hair and a mustache will hide anybody. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I looked at this guy for five seconds, I'd be like, "You're fucking Eddie Wilson, dude." <laughs> <laughs> Don't even try to hide. I mean, come on. See, box. That's why you weren't cast in the movie because the movie would have been over within the first five minutes. Exactly, it really would have been. I'd be like, oh, "You're fucking Eddie Wilson. Shut up." Um, <laughs> now, I, I did mention uh, Marina Orsini plays basically a, a a girl in this movie who starts, of course, falling in love with Eddie, um, or as he's known in this movie, Joe West. Joe West. Joe West. Um. She took a beating for this fucking role. Like, people hated her in this movie. Uh, And, you know, she's done a few things. Not a ton, but a few. Uh, But, yeah, people really gave her... And I think this might have been why she didn't do a ton of stuff. Because this movie gave her a bad, bad beating. Um, They just... No one... They wanted Alan Barkin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean... Most of the movies she did after this start with the word lace or lure, which means she went to France. Okay. Yeah, uh, L- La Petite. Uh, every movie is is French. I'm not lying. Wow. Almost every movie until you get to like 1996, and then they start becoming English movies. And 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 I got and I gotta say this, like you know, Eddie Wilson. Obviously, he's a fix, he's a fictitious character. He's not real. But one of the things that kind of annoys me about movies sometimes, I understand like you have to play along for like the sake of the plot and all that kind of stuff. But if Eddie Wilson was like this big, th- just think about it in the context of the movie, he's a big deal. He's like a legend. Mm-hmm. Nobody that looked at this guy in the face, man. Anybody ever tell you you look like Eddie Wilson? Right. Well, uh... like, but that was kind of like that's the only thing that kind of like bothered me. Like you like you suspend your disbelief, but that was kind of like eh. Well. They had it, it, it took, like, literally. I was like forty five minutes into the movie before people put started putting two and two together. Yeah, and you know they kind of said a little bit in the beginning. You know, he hadn't sang. He was he he hadn't, he hadn't sang in front of a crowd, obviously because he was nervous to be, you know, found out. Um, you know, like we said, it kind of starts out. He's kind of walking around Joe West, and he's in a bar, and um, you know they're showing Eddie Eddie and the Cruiser stuff on TV. They're they're doing an Eddie and the Cruisers uh, 
look-alike contest and this and that. And, you know, basically it's it's still getting to him to this day. Um, you know, just looking at the TV and this and that. And, you know, he's just trying to be a regular guy, a construction worker. He's gone from New Jersey to New York, where I guess New York's a good place to hide. <laughs> I mean, why not, right? So, you Still know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So, you know, he's, he's kind of walking back. He's going back and forth. He's even at this um, stupid Eddie, and the, you know, Eddie Wilson lookalike contest, and they're doing it on TV. Now, this movie sort of has the same basis. Um, a sort of, it's not a reporter this time, it's a record producer. Or, I'm sorry, a uh, record company and producer start, actually it's Satin Records. Oh, yeah. It's Satin Records, the same record company from the first movie that hated his album. Satin Records and, the, and one of their producers starts making a little rumor uh, again, just like the first movie, that Eddie Wilson could be alive. Now, I, you know, obviously not knowing he really is. Right, they did it just for publicity and to exactly. sell records. Uh, he also finds out right in the beginning of this movie that the albums for A Season in Hell have been obtained. So, you know, he didn't know that either. He thought they were hidden and were never coming out. But, uh, you know, so they start putting this on. Um, Eddie's getting, Eddie's being Eddie. He's just kind of getting depressed and this and that. Um, the whole time, these guys are trying to figure out how to keep this little scam going on getting, uh, you know, this going, this whole scam going with Eddie Wilson being alive. One night, he's at a hockey game, and Marina Orncini in this movie, who plays, god damn, what's her name in this movie? Diane? Diane. 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 And, you know, she wants to paint him, this and that. Obviously, he's hesitant. He doesn't want to be painted. Uh... You know, we're quickly going through this movie. Yes, I agree. We are. I know we are. But I don't want to be on here till fucking five in the morning, you know. But, um, you know, he's... Eddie's kind of starts going. He's he's looking at bars. He's going listening to all these musicians. Obviously, you know, we, we talked in the first movie how he was a musician. You know... He likes all kinds of different music. He's going through listening to all kinds of people. And uh, he finds this band in this bar. And, of course, Rick Diesel's there tearing up his guitar. God, I love that fucking name. I'm going to change my name. I'm going to be Rick Diesel from now on. It's not cool and then Dirk Diggler, my man. No, yes, it is. <laughs> fucking Rick Diesel, motherfuckers. So anyway, they, they do find him. Uh, Rick Diesel, he's also in there with Hilton Overstreet, who's the sax player who reminds him of uh, Wendell Newton. Wendell Nelson. Newton. Yeah, Newton. Newton, yeah. I can remember Newton because I love that movie, The Newton Boys, with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of reminds him of him. Um, and he actually, Eddie gets up and plays for the first time in a while here. And immediately, you can see Hilton Overstreet look at him, and you know they 
kind of gets this little dreamy look in his eyes. He knows who he is, basically, right there and then. So he had already put it together. Um, now, this is a... I got to admit, the song he sings here, called Garden of Eden, I love the bluesy tone of this song. Yeah. It's a really good, good fucking song. This is... I mean, it's... I like the guitar and everything in this song. Great fucking song. But like I said, the soundtracks of these movies are amazing. And this soundtrack might even be a little bit... It's got a couple better songs on it than the first one. They they sort of updated the music a little bit, made it a little more 80s. Right. So it was a, obviously a little more with the times. Um, but, uh, you know, he's in there playing... And uh, Eddie freaks out a little bit once um, Hilton gets on there and starts playing the sax. He closes his eyes and starts thinking of Wendell. Immediately, you know, he runs the hell out of there. Uh, this chick, who obviously has a big heart on for him, <laughs> begs to paint really? him. What? Really? You think? The thirst is real with her, dude. She's thirsting hard. Um, and, uh, yeah, she goes, she meets him, she's begging to paint him, begging to paint him, doesn't do it, but she does invite him to her paint opening. In the meantime, Rick Diesel comes in and he's like, dude, you got to play with me. I, I, I want you to, you know, I really want to jam with you. They end up jamming together and this is where Eddie kind of starts teaching Rick Diesel about, uh, you know, what, what's in his head a little bit. It uh, goes into a little part here about, you know, I was in the desert and I was listening to silence one day and I heard some of the best music just in that silence. You know, again, back to the poetic kind of things that Eddie thinks and, you know, another kind of, I guess, sort of a, a touch over to the first one with the, uh, you know, the poetry stuff and everything. You know, but uh, he's, you know, basically... This kid thinks he's great just by playing louder and faster. And, you know, Eddie's basically telling him, stop. You got to let the music breathe. And, you know, this movie was, the second one was more about the music than the first one, which I kind of liked. I yeah. I hate to say, but I think this this one might have been a little better than the first one in some ways. I actually preferred it, you know, because I, I actually saw all these movies for the first time, I actually sat down and watched them mm-hmm. over the past couple of days. And both of them were good. They both had their own charm, but to me, the second one was more of a story. It had more of a plot to it. The first one, just even though it had its moments, it seemed to be a little bit disjointed like all over. Yeah, the that was the word. That was the exact word I was going to use. A little disjointed. Well, it, it was a flashback movie. And we've said that yeah. a few times. It was a flashback movie. You had a lot of flashbacks. This one concentrated on they really got to, which is why I think they really did want to make a second one the whole time. They got to concentrate on the music instead of, it was like the first one introduced the characters to you and what the band was about. The second one was just like, let's, you know, let's put this one out because I think the soundtrack can also sell again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Which I'm not sure if it did great or not. I'll check it. I'll check later. 
But, uh, you know, they're uh, again, the record company is putting out this whole scam of an idea that Eddie Wilson's still alive. Again, not knowing he really is. But, uh, you know, they're putting out this whole thing that Eddie Wilson's still alive. They're keeping it going as much as they can. Um, now, eventually, Eddie ends up at uh, Marina's, or let's just call her Diane. Much easier name to say. He ends up at uh, Diane's um, art opening and walks around and actually finds a painting of himself. How creepy would that be? Be like, bitch, this is a red flag, okay? You're, you're fucking obsessed. Jesus. So, you know, he sees a painting of him, rips it down, takes it. This is where, obviously, him and the girl start getting together a little bit. And, you know, they go roller skating. And Eddie's new album comes on. And he freaks out a little bit. Rick Diesel's once again begging him to beg, join my band, man, join my band. So he does. After a lot of talking to, he does. Um, now, one part in this movie that did kind of creep me out is like, not creep me out, but I thought was weird. They're like, what? They've been out like one night. And he's already telling her who he is. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. It's like, you know, I've wanted to be dead for like, you know, in the movie, it's like 20 years later. And, you know, I bang you one night and you got the most powerful truth-telling pussy <laughs> in the world or something. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I'm Eddie Wilson, the pusser. Right. Yeah. That put it put me in. The, I'm really glad you brought that up because it put me in the mind of all of those memes that that used to come out with uh of of Bruce Wayne telling every fucking body he's Batman. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was it was weird because you know like they established early on that he's a pretty cool motherfucker, right? Mm-hmm. So like you know like she like she's on him pushing up on him I'm gonna paint your picture no I'm not interested I'm not interested and then so I I didn't like that character shift that I mean they they basically took all his coolness away in one moment no he played hard to get yeah but what happened after that I, he just like... look hey she threw the pussy at him he played hard to get see <laughs> I have a different game I used to play hard to want that was a different game I played. <laughs> that, that, that was my uh, whole problem. For a little while, a little drought there for a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Hard to watch. Happens to the best of us. Oh, God. <laughs> who was that? Oh, wait a minute. Who, oh, wait a minute. I know where that was from. Ford Fairlane. Andrew Dice Clay. Some, some chicks play hard to get, I play hard to want. <laughs> yeah, we that gotta get that on the show too. <laughs> well, we're definitely gonna have to do that one one night. I love that movie. I love that fucking Nedra Dice Clay movie, Ford Fairlane. All right, so he's sitting there and he's telling Diane, "Yes, I'm Eddie Wilson. They like me better dead than alive." And she's like, "Yeah, right, whatever." But um, you know, somehow she convinces him out of nowhere. Let's you know, fuck it. Just join the band and play your music, man. So he does. And they start uh, 
looking for more people. They find the um, doesn't like to wear a shirt drummer. <laughs> the uh, preppy piano keyboard guy. And, uh, you know, they basically make a whole new band. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's actually pretty fucking good, actually. They, 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 you know, they start jamming and rocking. And, you know, another big part in this movie, Eddie, uh, Rick wants to go on tour. He wants to make it. He wants to get there fast. And Eddie's obviously trying to slow him down for more than one reason. A, he doesn't think they're ready. B, he doesn't want to be out there where people can fucking see him because he's going to get busted. Yeah. You know, but, you know, there's that. Uh, you know, so they go through. They're playing, they're playing. Rick Diesel ends up actually booking them somewhere, and he gets really pissed off, but they go. Uh, he actually ends up doing it again, and they end up um, one more time opening for another band. Um, now while they're doing this, again, the whole scam is still going on where Eddie's still alive. And while they're doing this, uh, Eddie starts really getting mad after the second time because they booked him for a pretty big show. Um, and you know, Hilton comes out after he basically slams his guitar and runs out. Hilton comes out and, you know, he's burning up his songs. He says, you know, these songs suck. They don't even burn good. And Hilton looks at him and goes, well, it'd be a shame to waste a bunch of songs by Eddie Wilson. Boom. He's caught. He knows. Um, so, you know, that, 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 to be honest, this movie isn't a very meaty plot movie. Uh, like I said, the name gives most of this movie away. Yeah. Eddie lives. Um, but for, you know, for most of the movie, he is Joe West. There's one part in this movie where they're at a, uh, a fifties kind of dance that's being thrown at a a college and, you know, Eddie gets pissed. His girl is dancing. Um, I don't know how suddenly she became a professional dancer. (laughs) Um, but there, this whole, he was dancing well, (laughs) this whole building seems to be filled with professional dancers. It's amazing. (laughs) absolutely amazing they can all you know dance really good so you know it starts off this douchebag is dancing with a girl with crimped hair which angers me in a way you don't know crimped hair pisses me off in ways (laughs) that it shouldn't i don't know why but it really causes real anger trigger box that that's what the 80s did to me it caused me to hate crimped hair yeah. So anyway, she starts dancing with them, and Eddie starts getting pissed. And this isn't even really that important part of the movie, so I'm not quite sure why I'm bringing it up. Um, but uh, you know, they do start traveling around. He finally, he's this all brings up with her heading back to Jersey. You know, and uh, you know they they start going back to Jersey for the show they're gonna do. And suddenly, and I know I flew through this movie. I know I did. Um, But there's a real eerie part where Sal is uh, sitting there on the beach. 
And Eddie knows he's got a big show to do that night. Sal's sitting there on the beach talking to his son. And out of nowhere, he sees a figure walking towards him. Pair of jeans, leather jacket. It's Eddie. And it's really a, I mean, it's it's kind of the scene when you're watching the movie that gives you chills a little bit. You know, because you weren't, you know, obviously, I mean, maybe Anthony not ever seeing the movie. You're, you're not sure if he's ever going to really be the Eddie Wilson again, but you also don't know who he's going to tell. But when he does come up and see Sal and Sal sees him walking across the beach. Fuck. <laughs> well, you know, he's like unfucking believable, but obviously Sal freaks out for a minute. But um you know, and we said a little bit that, you know, obviously for the first movie this brings up a little bit we forgot to mention there's a song that keeps playing that he keeps hearing that is a unknown track that actually was the hook to get the record company to actually, you know, do this little scam. It's a song that no one has ever heard before, and it was just thrown into the a summer uh, a season in hell tapes, and you know it turns out that it was just a jam session, but you know part of the whole scam and their scam got busted by Bo Diddley. He's in the movie, right? Who says you know the uh, it brings up Wendell Newton and says you know hey Wendell was with us, and uh, you know obviously that brought up that Eddie was still alive because Wendell was there. But um, mm-hmm. that kind of brings us to the part where the song they're doing, Sal the whole time in the movie was basically saying, look, Eddie would never do a song without me. He played every song with me. But, uh, you know, Eddie goes and does explain that it was just one night him and Wendell went out and they were with all these legends. He mentions all these legends. And, you know, and like I said, Bo Diddley ends up showing up in the movie. But, uh, you know... That's kind of important because he mentions when he's talking to Sal, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm in awe by these guys jamming, and it's just another night to them. It just didn't even matter. They just didn't care, you know, and that's where he basically felt like he was, you know, kind of separated. He, he, this mattered to him. This meant something to him. You know, it wasn't just another jam session. Um... And this brings us to, we're already at the end of this movie. I really did fly through this, didn't I? <laughs> That's all right. We'll, 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 we'll talk about the parts after this. And, uh, yeah. you know, basically this brings us to the last part of the movie where Eddie Wilson does a finally, after the first song, he does come out and announce that he is still alive. And, uh, you know, he, he not sure who to, who to mention, call himself Joe West, but he does say, and I'm Eddie Wilson. He does get busted by Satin Records because Rick Diesel actually sent a copy of their tape and did mm-hmm. say, my singer sounds a lot like Eddie Wilson. Uh, it actually happens to be, it's not the same guy, but, you know, playing the same guy right. that originally yeah, threw him out. Lou, Lou Eisen? Yes, Lou Eisen. Eisen. And, uh, you know, basically goes through and uh, he gets caught and they find out it's Eddie and they're like, oh, you know, we love your stuff now. We really want to do it. And he runs out to his car. And for a minute there, you think he's going to go off another fucking bridge. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't. He goes out. He plays. He announces who he is. And uh, basically, we get another wonderful Eddie chant. 
And, uh, you know, we get a couple more songs just for the end of the movie. But, you know, honestly, man, if they did another one of these, I'd watch. Yeah, me too. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Um, Let me go through a few of these real quick here. The concert scenes that we just spoke about were actually filmed in Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas Arena, which who knows what it's called now, before a Bon Jovi show. (laughs) So that set that you see was actually used for a Bon Jovi concert. Uh huh, uh huh. All the songs in that movie were by the Beaver Brown Band. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. written, played, and performed by. This picture was nominated for the worst picture at the Hastings Bad <laughs> Cinema Society's twelfth twelfth annual Stinkers Bad Movie Awards in nineteen eighty nine. So this movie, you know, didn't do well at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, the guitar played by Eddie Wilson is a Fender Mustang made by Fender Music Company from 1964 to 1982, so actually was a pretty badass guitar. Yeah. Uh, This sequel only came out on VHS. I don't know if by now... Uh, Okay, you can get it now. It did come out in 2015 on Blu-ray. Yep, on Blu-ray. Um, so you can get this one now. Uh, let's see. As with the original film, critics heavily, heavily panned the sequel and the acting of Michael Pere. Uh, and they were very critical of the producers being more concerned about selling the soundtrack album. The soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Just another one. Look, neither one, again, this became sort of a cult movie. Another one. But... If you loved the first one, you wanted to see the second one. And it was just the way it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, fans of the first one were probably the only people to actually go see the second one. You know? If it, I, I know it's kind of weird to say this. I know it's kind of weird to say this with the uh, plot of the second one. But do you think if they kind of flip-flop some storyline elements from the second one and put them in the first one, it would have been more successful? I don't think so. I mean, I I, I think... I Go ahead, Bobby. I don't know. I, I think the movie is... and I think, it's, I think it is what it was going to be. You know what I mean? Um, I, did, I think that uh, one good thing that they did with the second one, though, was they filled in a lot of exposition that seemed to be missing from the first one. Like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But good job at all, in my opinion, of of showing how deep their friendship was. But they filled all of that in in the second one, you know. And also, like the first one, okay, we saw that Eddie and Sal were friends. But, you know, in the second one, Sal is like, Eddie was my best friend. He was my best friend. We didn't really see it that deep in the first one. Well, they, I mean, yeah. they, so. they kind of did. I mean, you know, when it came down to, you know, him and Sal were arguing about the music, which... You know, that's obviously good friends do that. Sal was the mm-hmm. one who tried to calm him down, at, you know, in the in the uh, the studio and everything. Him and Sal mm-hmm. did have a few heart-to-hearts in the movie. But, yeah, I mean, I, really what they were concentrating on in the first one was introducing you to the band, the original yeah. band, and what they went through. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. the, the second one, you know what, they might be right. They might have been trying to sell soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. 
maybe. But, you know, it, it's still a, a, a great movie in its own right. Again, these are sort of cult-type films. Yes. But uh, I love them. I love both of them. And like I said, I think the second one might even be a little bit better in some in some rights. Yeah, it depends on what you're looking for mm-hmm. at the at the time when you're watching it. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it definitely does. And I mean, you know, like I said, you know, the, the 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 first one, the the music is all sort of the '50s and '60s type, not not the doo-wop type with the rock and roll. Right, right. And then you go to the next one, and it's sort of an updated type rock and roll. It's uh. It's it, it's not completely the eighties glam rock. It's kind of the uh right. you know, late eighties. Late eighties little you know, with with but with a little bit of the sixties still mixed in with some of these music. Right. But um you know, that's I mean this the band right let's not forget the band writing these songs were left over from the seventies. Yeah. I mean Yeah. <laughs> for them to yeah. be able to adjust and do this, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah. So, you know, but uh, that's there really aren't many did you knows on this movie either. I pretty much named them all already. With some of the, <laughs> yeah, they're all pretty uh, much done. I mean, you know, this again wasn't a very uh, like I said the title gave most of the movie away. Eddie lives. You really know what's going to happen. But the movie itself, you know, definitely go out of your way to watch both of these movies. Watch them together if you can. Binge watch them. It'll take you less than four hours. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I would say you got to see them to get a full a full context of what the uh, makers of the movie are going for. The first one, like I said, I enjoyed both movies overall, but I enjoyed the second one better because, as Bobby stated, way better than I am right now. It, it it provided more exposition than the first one because the first one was like it was just very disjointed. It was a flashback movie, and it really didn't really flesh out the characters a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Eddie, I felt like I didn't know too much about the what the other characters. Yeah, showing. it was an Eddie and Frank movie. Mm-hmm. The first one, you know, it was mostly an Eddie and Frank movie. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was, and you could even yeah. You know what? You're right because it was basically Frank having all the flashbacks, Frank going around to the to the, you know the 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 band members and picking their brain a little bit. So yeah, the first one was pretty much Eddie and Frank. Yeah, and Frank cried a lot in the first one. I noticed he had a lot of he had a lot of moments where he just was always looking like the sad puppy. Well, I mean, he was having flashbacks and everything. I yeah, I, I, yeah. I will say, and I, I was always a little surprised they didn't bring Tom Berenger into the second one because... They didn't even mention him. They didn't even mention him, but because the friendship that, you know, basically they were saying that those two were so tight in the first movie, Yeah, I don't know yeah. if Tom Berenger wasn't around for this one or what, or maybe he saw it yeah. and went, I don't fucking think so. But right, I, I think probably that's what it was. I was a little shocked when they had Sal instead of Tom Berenger in this movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. but you know, I I guess you know you 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 do you deal with what you can deal with, I guess. Now, okay, well, to that point, you guys are familiar with uh, Crispin uh, Glover, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, he's Back to the Future. Right now, I I forget what the story was, but I know. Something like it was like maybe a contractual dispute that prevented him from being in the second one. 
And and if I'm not mistaken, it might have been a lawsuit involved because I remember he he basically flat out refused to do the second one, second Back to the Future. But they used him in the movie. They used them. They used like still footage from like the original one, yeah. and basically made it look like he was a part of the second one. Mm-hmm. Do you think they could have <laughs> probably did that with this one? Probably not. I mean, I'm thinking there was a, a uh, what do you call it, a contractual thing. Because if you think about it, look, there was a scene where they did a flashback in the second one where he had a conversation with Frank, but they didn't even show Frank. They just showed the part that Eddie said, and they didn't even mention who he was talking to. You know, well, I, I can't remember. A, I can't remember the quote, but yeah, I, I don't. I think it had something to do with with a contractual agreement. Well, he... So, yeah, if they showed him, they would have had to pay him, I guess. Well, he well they did show him in Back to the Future 2, and that's where the lawsuits all started, because they showed him without his consent. Hmm. Um, Man, that's weird to me, because um, you would think, though, I understand, like, it's his likeness, but they the, the studio, they would own the rights to the character name and... Yeah. Have grounds to sue. Yeah. Basically, um, let's see. Why no Crispin Glover in Back to the Future Two? I was asking questions for the. Uh, I was asking questions that the producers didn't like. Producers slash director didn't like. There was a different end. I had questions about it, and it didn't get changed. He recalled. He also said that uh, he was the only person asking questions uh, about the original ending. And then he said, well, "Michael J. Fox is that he's a star, so he's like, fuck it, I'm not going nowhere." <laughs> yep, yep. And he said there was uh, another thing that he was arguing with Robert Zemeckis about um, that are uh, the characters that should have a, a monetary reward because it was basically, I don't know, a, a lot of the ethics in the movie, not the ethics, but the um, outcomes of the movie is what he was questioning. And basically, he's saying that that's the reason that. He basically left the movie, and they did show him. He did sue them for showing him in a couple of small scenes with no consent. This was all set on open. Yeah, I, think, I think they like because it's been a while since I've seen Back to the Future, but I remember like the second one. It was a few scenes where they kind of showed his face a little bit, but then mm-hmm. like they they used like a stunt double whenever you saw him from the back. Yeah, yeah. Now, now this was all said. You can YouTube this. This was on Opie and Anthony when he gave all the good reasoning. So if you do want to check it out, just YouTube it on Opie and Anthony. I would play it, but <laughs> why? If you guys can't hear it, why bother? So I don't know. What do you think, guys? Any more? Any less? Can't can't you? <laughs> We covered Eddie in the cruises ad nauseum. I don't. Think <laughs> I think we did. I mean, we not. I, I know I really flew through the second one, but um, I kind of had planned on that. Again, that yeah. it was a. It's not a meaty movie. It is a good watchable movie, but not a lot of meat. Like I said, Eddie lives. Yeah. What else do I have to say? Yeah, and the story was already the story was already set up in the first one. Ah, know? yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, man. It, it, I mean, they could have already said, "Hey, don't forget to check out Eddie and the Cruisers 2 at the end of the fucking <laughs> credits of the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but they didn't. So, all right. On, I guess on that note, yeah. fuck it. 
Don't forget to check everybody here. All of us, uh, me and Anthony, we'll be back next week. Don't know what we're doing yet, but we'll let you know. Next week, right here, Mixler.com slash THT podcast. Check us out on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Uh, that's all for that right now. Um, we are actually on iTunes. Don't worry about that. Actually, I got uh, and I got the wrestling show back up on there, too. Don't worry about that. So, got that back up there, too. But, yeah, don't ever forget to check us out. Bobby, thanks again for joining us. Always appreciate thank it. Thank you. Yes, Bobby, thank you so mm-hmm. much. Uh, thank appreciate you. it. And don't forget, check out me and Shaheen. We are going to be back next Wednesday. We'll be there at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here. Mixer.com slash THT podcast. So there you go, everybody. That's it. That is it for THD Movie Review. And we will see everybody next week. Later. Call me, Paige. Peace. (laughs) Call me, get your fucking shine box. (laughs) Done.